Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. We have some uh, solar lights. You probably have some of these little solar lights as well that uh, help you navigate your way, maybe from your car, from the driveway to your front door. Now, when it's dark out, these little lights are really helpful to guide you on the path to the door, right? Well, biblically speaking, those little lights in my yard, as we've focused on being a light in the darkness, these little lights have reminded me of Christians who are called to be lights in a dark world. We, we spread out and help guide others on the path to life in Christ and an everlasting life with Him forever in heaven. And uh, I could take this analogy really far and say these little lights, these little solar lights have to get their enablement to be a light from the from the sun, right? So we're like little lights that we get our light from Christ. He enables us to be a light to others, to help guide others. But uh, yeah, that's taking the analogy really far. But uh, uh, for the last few weeks, we've been in Acts 13, um, talking about being lights in the darkness. Acts is all about witnessing. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you're going to be my witnesses to the whole world, basically, to sum that up. Witnesses are lights. Lights are witnesses. And uh, Philippians 2.15 says that we as believers appear as lights in a crooked and perverse generation. In a dark world, Jesus, uh, Jesus said this. He said, you're the light of the world. You know, you let your light shine before men. Don't, don't hide it under a, a basket. You know, put it on a, a lampstand. That's what you do with lights, Right? You don't light a light and then put it under a basket and hide it. No, you, you put it on a lampstand for it to impact other people, everybody in that room. Well, today we're going to keep uh, learning how to put our lights on a lampstand, how to, how to be good light, good witnesses, basically, winsome and effective bright lights. And uh, I just want to remind us briefly that um, this is a pivotal chapter in the book of Acts. This is taking us into the third section of the book of Acts, where we go from Jerusalem to Judea to now to the uttermost in this last half of the book. So third section, but pretty much the last half of the book. And uh, it's exciting stuff. We're watching the gospel go into the reaches of the Roman Empire. And uh, through mainly the Apostle Paul, we're in the first missionary journey of Paul. If you're a visitor this morning, and we're glad you're here. You've joined us in Paul's first missionary journey. He's in Pisidian Antioch of Turkey. That's the red star up there on the map. And uh, he's, he's been in Pisidian Antioch now, and he has preached a gospel message to them, a very simple gospel message about how God promised way back in the day, right, in Abraham and David, he, he promised to send a Savior, who is going to pay for our sins? And he's 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 uh, second part of Paul's sermon was how God kept 
that promise in Jesus Christ. And then he has moved into application in verse 38. He said, let it be known to you that through faith in him, you can be completely forgiven of your sins and you can be justified, declared righteous before God, have a perfect standing before God. That is amazing good news. That's why the gospel is good news. And uh, we're going to pick it up now in verse 42, where the people are begging Paul and Barnabas to come back and tell them more about Jesus. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Come back and tell us more. Tell us more about this forgiveness. Tell us more about this justification, this, this right standing with God that we can have through faith in Christ. So, 42. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them next, the next um, the next Sabbath. Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes, the, these guys weren't Jews, but they were converts to Judaism, they, they followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. And verse 44, the next Sabbath, nearly the, the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and they began to contradict the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them. And that was basically a way of saying, you know, you're, we're leaving everything with you. The responsibilities on you. We're washing our hands of this, right? We've, we've shared the gospel and now... The ball is in your court to respond to it. And he says, uh, it goes on and says, They went to Iconium, and the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So, first thing we see just in our outline is uh, the response of the people at Antioch to the gospel. Um, whenever you share the gospel, there's always going to be one or of two responses, right? Either a positive or a negative response. And the first thing we're going to look at here at Antioch is the positive response. Some, some, some of these people who heard the gospel are like, man, tell us more. You know, we want to hear more. We can't get enough of this stuff. Come back. And, 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 and some are following the apostles throughout the week. Some, some of them believe some have questions, but still positive response. And, and when they come back the following Sabbath, it's pretty amazing that the whole city shows up. Isn't that, wouldn't that be the, quite the opportunity? I mean, <laughs> I mean, everybody, the whole city of Shadron just gathers at the fairgrounds, and let's just share the gospel here. 
That would be awesome, wouldn't it? And then we'd shake the dust off our feet and move on. No, I'm just kidding. We would plant a church, right? And then and then start growing these disciples. But um, anyway, what an opportunity these guys have to, to preach the gospel. And by the way, they're going to come back in, in future missionary journeys, and they're going to keep working on these churches, right, and seeing them get established. But uh, anyway, you can tell that all throughout the week, people are conversing with their family, with their friends, with their coworkers and neighbors, saying things like, did you hear there's, there's these two men... Remember, they didn't have social media, and so someone new comes into town, that's their news feed. Okay? <laughs> and they're like, hey, these, these two men from out of town, they came in last Saturday in synagogue, and they shared about how God has kept His promise to Abraham in a man named Jesus. They said He died for sins. They said He, he rose to life again so that we could be forgiven and justified. Have you ever heard of anything like this? Have you ever heard such good news? Obviously not, right? Yeah, they're, they're preaching we can be forgiven and justified without all of that religious jargon out there that Gentiles are so used to. How they're, they're separated, you know? They're just not as good. And, and they were using Scripture to back it all up, too. Wow. I can't wait to hear more. I think you should come to synagogue with me next week. You know, I can just picture a neighbor's over the fence conversing, you know? You should come to synagogue next week. And I can imagine someone saying, yeah, that, you know, that does sound kind of interesting. I haven't been to synagogue in a while for a reason, <laughs> right? Um, but that does sound interesting. I think I'll join you. So just imagine how word spread throughout the city of Antioch that week. Just natural conversation at work, at the marketplace, maybe at tea, having tea together, maybe... Two neighbors mowing the lawn, okay, maybe they didn't have lawnmowers, but you get the point. Okay, they, they, they went about their week, and the word spread. They shared the good news. And I think that's, you know, the, the way that the majority of people are going to end up coming to know the Lord. Through regular folks, living regular, regular lives, having regular conversations and regular relationships. Right? Kind of reminds me of that, that principle that lights make disciples as they're going. As they're going. Some, some Bible scholars, and you know, one of my old professors used to emphasize this all the time, because you know, most of us are going to settle down somewhere and make disciples there. We're not, we're not going to be traveling all around the world. And so he said that Jesus' commission, go and make disciples of all nations, could be rendered as you go, make disciples of all nations. As you're going, make disciples. So as you, I think it's helpful, right? So as you go about your day-to-day, you go about your, your week-to-week, um, be gospel-minded. Think about your coworkers. I mean, does this, does this person know Jesus? How could Jesus really help them with what they're going through? Has this person, have I asked them if they've ever heard the clear message of God's grace in Christ, how they, they can be saved by grace through faith in Christ. Have they ever heard that message? You know, I'm pretty sure most people haven't heard that message. They've heard God's got a big scale in heaven, and if my good outweighs my bad, then I get in. They've never heard about free grace offered through faith in Christ. We need to make that known. Have I invited them to church? Have I invited them to Bible study? Um, their conversation kind of reminds me of that the come and see concept from John chapter 1. You heard of this? 
Um, Philip starts to follow Jesus and he tells Nathanael, he says, we've, we've found him of whom Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And, what, and what, how does he respond? How does Philip respond? He says, come and see. Right? He didn't try to like lay it out in some big detail. He says, come and see. Come and see for yourself that this is the one. And so sometimes it's as simple as come and see. Maybe just an invite to church. Maybe it's an invite to Bible study. Just a come and see that God is going to use to save people. Uh, I wouldn't be here today if someone hadn't have said to me, come and see. And what's that Brian church all about? Well, why don't you just come and see? You know what I saw? See, I grew up with a, a big gold-plated family Bible. It was about that thick, and it was on our library table and on a doily, you know, <laughs> and, and no one touched it, right? Um, only opened it a couple times. It, it preserved the leaves, you know, the leaves, and you put leaves in the big family Bible. Um, okay, only the priest could really understand that thing. Well, I go to the Alliance Berean Church, and I'm like, whoa, why are these people all carrying Bibles? You know, and they're opening them, and their 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 worship time. Most of their worship time is spent in the Word, and they're they're reading it. They're they're talking about it, and I'm like, wow, this is different. You know, their authority comes from the Word of God. They gave me a Bible. They shared the gospel, and and through the influence of that church, through many members, here I am. Yeah, come and see. Come and see what it's about. I was really drawn to that. If I if if they were a bug light, I was a bug. You know, I was drawn to that. Only, yeah, and I did die just like a bug, but I found new life in Christ, right? Um, That was horrible. I'm sorry. (laughs) This past week, um, if if anything, it was at least memorable. Um, But this last week, I heard another pastor, Andy Woods. He's at Sugarland Bible Church. He's quite the influencer these days, more of an influence than I want to be with the things that come out of my mouth, but uh, (laughs) he grew up as an altar boy in the Catholic Church, just like me, and uh, someone invited him, about 19 years old, I think it was, invited him to a Bible study, and they're in John chapter 3, and he hears this thing about being born again, he says, what's that all about, right, (laughs) and so there he is, that night he gets, he gets saved, he's born again that night by faith in Christ, how cool is that, just come and see, Come to the Bible study. Just invite people. That's what you see going on at Antioch. Um, fishing for men. I like to think of, uh, whenever you think of witnessing, right? I'm a fisherman, so I like to think of fishing for men. Um, Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And fishing for men is a lot like fishing for fish. There's a lot of approaches to fishing. There's a lot of different types of fishing. I mean, you got different reels and rods, and, and, uh, and uh, you got all these different lures. Sometimes you you know, you, you hook a boot, sometimes you don't catch anything. <laughs> That's a lot like evangelism, isn't it? Uh, you, can, you can troll, you can jig, you can cast a bobber, you can cast and reel, you know. Just, there's so many different types of ways to fish. And just like in evangelism, you never know when or where or what God is going to use to bring people to faith in Christ. And so... I want to use that illustration of fishing to encourage you guys. And one thing is certain, you're going to do more casting than catching. Remember that. So don't get too discouraged when 
You, you cast a lot more than you actually catch. That's fishing by nature, isn't it? Uh, just as we wait patiently for fish to bite, we're always patiently uh, waiting there, helping guide people to the Savior. Um, some fish are going to bite. Some fish aren't going to be hungry. Some fish aren't going to bite just yet, but they might later on, right? So fishing and evangelism both require a patient endurance and patience with people. But the second response we see is that some, you know, mainly the Jewish leaders, some of the leaders in town, they respond negatively to the gospel. We've looked at the positive, now the negative. Looking at the crowds that Paul and Barnabas are drawing, they become filled with jealousy and they start to thwart Paul's ministry, Paul and Barnabas's ministry. Uh, it says they become filled with jealousy and uh, I can imagine why they're upset about many things, why they're jealous. Well, for one, their synagogue's filled with Gentiles. They, you know, that they didn't like that. <laughs> I'm sure that their favorite, if the whole town came to gather on that Saturday, I can imagine that their favorite seats at church were taken. It's kind of like on Easter Sunday and you all had to rearrange yourselves, right? <laughs> the whole town came and, and, and their seats are taken, so they might be mad about that. That's not the big one, but the, the, another thing is they'd be mad about is Paul and Barnabas teaching that the law is insufficient to save people, and that these Gentiles are accepted without all their Jewish customs, without the baptism, without the circumcision, and, and, and we know that they're jealous of the people and the power that Paul and Barnabas are attracting because that's exactly what they did during Jesus' ministry. When Jesus was drawing large crowds, they became jealous of His following. And so they, they really weren't so concerned about truth and what the Scriptures had to say. It was about losing people and losing their power. It was, it's interesting, right, how the leaders and the ones in authority in the town, and not just the religious leaders, were getting mad. They were losing influence over the people. And in verse 46, we see that the Jews actually repudiate, they push aside forcefully the gospel. I don't want anything to do with that. Sometimes you're going to get that response. They reject the message of eternal life, and it says they consider themselves unworthy of eternal life, and, which is interesting, right? Because that's ironic, because if anyone should be worthy of eternal life, who is it? It's the Jews. Well, this says, the irony is that they're so zealous for the law of Moses that they fail to see the purpose of it. The, the purpose of the law was not for you to work hard and keep it and present yourself a righteousness before God that God's going to accept. The purpose of the law was to reveal your sin, right? You look at the Ten Commandments, you see, wow, God's holy, I'm not. I do lie, those sort of things. And so you see your sin, and then you see your need for a Savior. I have lied, I have coveted, I've done all these things, now I see my need for a Savior. So the law is a tutor that leads us to Christ, but they were using it to create their own righteousness, works-based righteousness. And so it's men like this, these, these Judaizers, these Jews, who are going to follow Paul around. They're going to go into his churches and sneak into his churches and introduce that this, this, the, the heresy that we're saved by grace and works, this sort of thing. They're introduced things like circumcision. If you really want to be saved, well, you got to... Now, as well, Paul, look at this already in verse 43, is, is urging them to continue in the grace of God. When he writes Galatians, he's writing to the people in this area, don't listen to these guys. 
with their works-based gospel. Continue in the grace of God. And so you get a taste of Galatians right here and now already as Paul goes through this area the first time. The second response we're going to look at, though, uh, other than the people, is the response of Paul and Barnabas to uh, the people. Um, For the first of several times, they're going to turn to the Gentiles, it says. They turn to the Gentiles. And this, this becomes a pattern. They, they turn to the Gentiles. That's a major turning point in this entire Luke and Acts narrative. Remember Luke and Acts, these two books, they'll separate it in your Bible are like two, uh, two, two volumes of one story, right? And uh, Luke here is very deliberate in informing uh, the man he's writing to, his name's Theophilus, which I think he's a Roman governor of some kind. We don't know for sure, but it seems that he's a high, you know, most excellent Theophilus Roman governor type of guy that actually funded Luke to do this, but um, to write the history of the church. And so Luke is very deliberate in informing him about church history and in, in how God has... Uh, worked in Jesus in such a way that he wants to save all nations, right? He's, he's, the gospel is to advance to all nations. And so what you see in Luke chapter 2, we've talked about this a bit, but Luke records Simeon, this old man named Simeon holding baby Jesus in his arms. Uh, uh, Simeon's quoting Isaiah about a prophecy of Jesus, that Jesus would be a light to the Gentiles. And then Look at this. In chapter 13, you see the fulfillment of that right here, don't you? You'd be like, how's Jesus going to be a light to the Gentiles? Well, we see it in Acts chapter 13. Paul's quoting Isaiah, saying he's going to, they're going to be lights to the Gentiles. They're going to take Jesus, the light, as lights to the Gentiles. Isn't that neat? And then get this, Acts 28. Acts chapter 28, the last chapter, some of the last verses of this book, and Paul quotes Isaiah again. He's working with unbelieving Jews, and he says, Go to this people and say, The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah, the prophet, to your father, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but not understand. You will keep on seeing, but not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and their ears, with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes." Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and return, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they also will listen. So, this great shift in God's program from, from primarily Jew to Gentiles in the, in the privileged position in God's program is depicted by how uh, in the beginning of chapter 13, if you're just joining us, this was depicted through two, through, well, for one, through the way Saul becomes Paul. Saul's the Hebrew name, and now he, as he takes on this Gentile ministry, and becomes the leading apostle to the Gentiles, he becomes Paul, which is a Roman name. And then uh, it's also depicted through two individuals that he ministers to on Cyprus. Right at the beginning of their ministry, he runs into Sergius Paulus, this Roman governor, you think Theophilus can relate to him, right? He believes, and then this other guy, this Bar-Jesus, whose name means son of Jesus, this Jew, doesn't believe. He actually opposes the gospel, and he becomes not son of Jesus, but son of 
The devil, Paul calls him. And so what happened between Sergius Paulus and, and this uh, bar Jesus guy, this Jew, is just a small taste of what's going to happen in the rest of Paul's ministry where the Jews become hardened, increasingly hardened, and the Gentiles become more receptive to the gospel. And that's what Paul explains in Romans chapters 9 through 11, what's going on there in God's program, how there has come about a partial hardening among the nation of Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And so uh, just uh, know, though, that uh, Romans 9 through 11 teaches us that God is not done with the Jews. A partial hardening has happened to them, but He still saves a remnant today, even today. He always has, always will. And Paul was proof of that, he said, in Romans 11. Uh, He says in Romans 11 that by turning to the Gentiles, so he's not being anti-Semitic. Paul actually says anti-Jewish, what I mean by that. He says in there that if he could, he would exchange his place for them. Like he loves his Jewish brethren so much that he says, if I could go to hell on their behalf so that they could be accepted in Christ, I would. Isn't that amazing? That's Romans 9, 1 through 5. And then in, uh, in, the, in, in chapter 11, he actually goes so far as to say that by turning to the Gentiles, he's actually seeking to uh, create a jealousy within the Jews. Right? He wants to um, provoke them to jealousy through the way God is working among the Gentiles. And uh, so he would actually win some by turning to the Gentiles. So, humanly speaking, though, nine, chapter 9, verses 30 through 10, 4, reveal why Israel in the present is experiencing reject and, uh, rejection. Have you ever noticed how the Jews are so hardened to the gospel today? And they'll, they'll plug their ears to it, and they don't want anything to do with it. Why our Friends of Israel ministry guys have such a hard time reaching the Jews? There's a hardening there. Okay, and, but here's why, though, humanly speaking, Israel in the present is experiencing rejection Remember how we were talking about imputed righteousness last week? How we need a righteousness that's not our own? Well, look, listen to this. Paul says, what shall we say then that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith, but Israel pursuing a law of righteousness, no, sorry, Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness through the law of Moses, through works, they didn't arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone that is Christ. Just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion, in Jerusalem, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. He says, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is, is their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge, for not knowing about God's righteousness and, and instead seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Isn't that <laughs> I just I love that. He's so, he's so clear. Paul says, so instead of letting the law show them their sin and their need for a Savior in Christ, 
They have used the law of Moses to try and conjure up their own stockpile of righteousness. And that they're going to basically put in a wheelbarrow and wheelbarrow it before God and say, here's why you should let me into heaven. And, and Paul says, that's the reason they are the way they are, why they, why they are experiencing rejection. They think their religious works and their good works and this, the fact that they're a Jew is going to, that they're, they're physical descendants of Abraham, he think, that's what they think is going to get them into heaven. And it's not. And it doesn't work for any of us to ever try to be good enough. There's nothing we are, nothing we do that's ever going to be good enough to get to heaven on our own. So it's like we talked about last week. We need a righteousness, yes, but one that's not our own. We need the perfect righteousness of Christ imputed to our account, right? Placed on, upon us, a different righteousness that's not our own. And once you, you start to get this, you, you, you're getting the gospel. When you get this, you're getting the gospel. Jesus died for your sins so that by faith in Him, He would give you His righteousness. It's not your own. And this is necessary because God is perfect. Heaven's perfect. If you want a good verse to memorize for witnessing, Proverbs 5.4 says, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, no evil dwells with you. Nothing evil can dwell with God. What's the problem? We're all sinners. We're all wicked. We're all, we're all fallen. We all fall short of the glory of God. We cannot dwell with God. He's holy. We are not. And, and, and our sin cannot just abide with His presence forever. You know what I'm saying? So the, the solution, though, is that Christ takes our sin on the cross in ex, and in exchange credits us with His perfect righteousness. So His righteousness is credited to our account so that we can have a perfect standing before Him forever. That's the great exchange, guys. That's the great exchange of our sin that He takes in exchange for His righteousness given to us so we can have a perfect standing before God. So when we stand before God and He says, why should I let you in? You don't, you don't point to yourself or your good works or your religious works. You point to Jesus. I point to Jesus and what He did for me. Not something we earn, not something we deserve, but it's a free gift received by faith. And, and Paul said, hey, he was one of the most zealous Jews that there ever was. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews kind of guy. He's a, you know, he kept the law, he said, to a T. But now he says in Philippians 3, verses 7 through 9, I don't want my own righteousness anymore. He says it's rubbish, it's dung, is what he literally says. He says, I, I don't want that. I want to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So it's an alien righteousness. It's not ours. It's, it's His. It comes from outside of us. And Paul says that these Jews, they had a zeal, but they had no knowledge. They didn't subject themselves to God's righteousness. And that gives us another good uh, light-bearing principle that lights need to operate with both zeal and knowledge. They, did, they had zeal, but they didn't have knowledge. And, and, and some, some Christians today, we have, we have knowledge, but I think we've, we lose our zeal for evangelism. We lose our, our zeal to live for Him and to evangelize. And we should have zeal, like, because this is the greatest message that, that, <laughs> that, 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 that will ever exist. 
We, we carry the greatest news that this world has ever seen or will see. You get it, we have the good news of the gospel. This changes people's destinies and it transforms their lives. We should have zeal for a message like that. We should have zeal for a, a, a zeal that goes beyond caring about what people think of us. We should have this, we want to be unashamed of the gospel, at least we should be. Paul keeps on sharing the gospel. He doesn't care how people treat him. He doesn't care what they think of him. He just shares the gospel. He says in Romans 1.16, I'm unashamed of it. I don't care what people think of me. They need to hear this stuff. Zeal that cares more about people's destiny and God's glory. Zeal that's ready and willing to give a reason for the hope that's in us. 1 Peter 3.15 says. We've got to have a, a zeal to, that says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Did you know Paul said that? What a responsibility I have to preach the gospel. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Preach, share this good news with people. And at the same time, a lot of people possess zeal, but then they don't have the knowledge aspect, kind of like, kind of like the Jews. Those, you know, these Islamic guys who, who blow up our world trade centers and they blow themselves up wherever they go, uh, they have zeal, right? They have a lot of zeal, but what are they missing? Knowledge. They have no knowledge, and they're going to pay eternally for that. As soon as they blow that bomb up, man, they, they increase in knowledge. Knowledge of, wow, I screwed up. Well, that's an extreme example. But a lot of Christians today, we, we can have zeal, but maybe not have knowledge because we don't just take a study of the Word of God seriously. You know, we, we just want the entertainment side of Christianity and not the hard meat, you know, that, that solid meat. We don't want to digest that. Just entertain me. Make me feel good. Someone said, zeal without knowledge is like fire without light. I like that quote. Zeal without knowledge is like a fire without light. It's like, zeal without knowledge is like getting on your horse and riding off in all directions. <laughs> no control. Just frantic. Going off in all directions. As believers, we, we need some knowledge of imputed righteousness. If we're going to go around and share the gospel with people, we need knowledge of how to communicate the gospel clearly. Paul's even eager to preach the gospel to Christians so that we grow in our knowledge of the gospel. Um, knowledge to differentiate maybe between our position in Christ and our condition in Christ so that we don't confuse people when we go to present the gospel. Relevant to Acts 13 and Romans 9-11, I think we need the knowledge that when we're witnessing, we can't force someone to believe in Christ, can we? You can't force someone to believe in Christ. You can't pressure them with gimmicks. We can't, we can't impress them into it with eloquence in our speech. Guys, we have to rely when we're witnessing on the divine work of the Spirit of God to do His thing, don't we? We want to win souls. Proverbs 11.30 says, He who is wise wins souls. And so we can be the means of God's salvation that, uh, that God uses in witnessing to save people, but it's up to Him to save people in His way, in His timing. And so we rely on Him. We rely on His Spirit when we share the gospel. Um, please don't put all that pressure upon yourself to save people. Rely on the work of the Spirit. We sow the word, but who grows it? God does. And if nothing else teaches us, 
you know, God's sovereign in this area other than, I mean, if anything should, it's, it's God's dealing with the nation of Israel in Romans 9 through 11. And in that passage, you see both God's sovereignty. Paul expresses that unashamedly. God is sovereign over this. But he's also, you see their responsibility as well. And I'm, I'm one of those guys that I believe in both. I don't know about you. I believe God's sovereign in this area. I believe man also has a free will. He also has to respond. And I don't see how we can go through the Bible like we do and uh, ever take one extreme. Because I plan on going through Romans 9 through 11 someday. <laughs> and I don't want to have to bite my tongue today, you know. So uh, I don't want to bite my tongue then on what I've said today. Paul and Barnabas, you can see both God's sovereignty here. You can see free will right here in this passage. Both are needed in witnessing. Paul and Barnabas, they can witness, and then they trust the Lord with the results. You see that? They've witnessed, and, and they're moving on. They're going to shake the dust from their sandals. And that signifies they've fully testified in that city. And now it's the city's responsibility to respond to the gospel. And you see in verse 48 there, as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And, and, and that there, when you take that in consideration of what's being going on in this chapter, in this passage, you should say, whoa, God would appoint even Gentiles to believe. It's, it should be a shock to your system, to the Jew, whoa, right? To Theophilus, wow, God would even choose Gentiles in his program and include them in it. God's sovereignty and man-free will, I, I like to think that they're, they're both like two rails of a railroad track. You've got a picture in your, out, in your notes, but God's sovereignty and man's free will, and you look down those railroad tracks, and they both meet at the same point. Can't explain it, but it's there. And uh, if, you, if you really want more information on that, um, I, I did a sermon a couple years ago in Titus, Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. You can look that up. And I talked a lot about that and went into depth on that. But uh, before we wrap it up, let's note another way so before you come and argue with me, um, go check out that sermon so you really know where I'm at on God's sovereignty and man's free will. Okay? Um, before we wrap it up, let's note another way in which these men were lights. Okay? Even though they're, they're persecuted and maligned and they're driven out of the area, they aren't. these guys, they aren't filled with anger, are they? The Jews are filled with jealousy, they're angry. Paul and Barnabas, they're the ones being mistreated, they're being mis- misaligned maligned, whatever you want to say, and they're filled with what? Joy in the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great? They, we might say the fact that they're not angry and grumbling about their treatment, being kicked out of this district, is proof that they're, they're, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with joy. And that's what lights are going to do. Lights are going to move forward with joy and in the Holy Spirit. I'm afraid as believers, we just get so angry about so many things that are just unnecessary. And you know what the Bible says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And we get so angry about so many things. And we let it get to us. It affects us. You know, that's diminishing our lights, isn't it? There's nothing attractive about an angry person. Philippians 2.15 says, the way in which we're lights is by doing all things without grumbling or disputing. 
without grumbling or disputing. There's going to be times when, like Paul and his companions, the people in the culture are going to attempt to pressure us into silence into various ways. They're going to say mean things about us. They're going to push our buttons. But we can't let it get to us. We've got to not, be, not let them drag us down into anger and discouragement. But we, we, we focus on what matters. I think that's what Paul and Bar- Barnabas are doing. They're focused on eternal matters. And that's why they don't get drugged down. Uh, they have their minds on maybe something like Jesus' promise in Matthew 5. He says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward. Isn't that funny? You're, you're persecuted, therefore rejoice, because your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So they've got their mind on eternity, that this life isn't everything. And then they've got their mind on the mission, I think. We're going to keep advancing this gospel. I don't care if it's accepted. I don't care if it's rejected. We're moving on. You see that in their attitude, don't you? It's, it's, a, it's awesome. When you think of the word mission, that should, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I think of military term. I think of a military operation, a mission. When you go into the military, you expect difficulty. You expect opposition. Well, we're on a mission, aren't we, to advance the gospel. Expect difficulty. Expect opposition. Expect hardship. Whether the gospel is received or rejected, that mission goes on and it goes on with the joy of serving in God's, in God's program, being used of Him. The other day, um, I went fishing with my father-in-law. And uh, when, we, when we left the house... I mean, it was a beautiful day, just like this outside. Uh, sunny, it was great, you know? And then, but by the time we got to this corner, we're turning the corner to go to the lake, here comes the wind, and, you know? <laughs> and we see a, a boat leaving the lake. You know, they're already five miles away from the lake. And, and, and the person in that truck said, boy, I feel bad for them, because they left, because I know, because it was my friend Joe. Um, <laughs> um, he was leaving the lake because it was so windy and choppy out there. I mean, there was white cabin. But um, we're going to the lake. And uh, anyway, he called us to tell us they left, the wind was so bad. And while everyone's struggling to load up their boats, right? It was a horrible wind. Everybody's troubled, troubled trying to dock their boat and like load up their boats on the trailer. Um, here we are actually, like, everybody's leaving. There's only, like, a couple boats left, and we're backing in. We're putting our boat into the water because we expect that the wind's going to die down and we're going to be able to be just fine later on when we go to take it out. But uh, anyway, everybody's loading up their boats, and we're putting in, and uh, we were there to fish. You know, and uh, the wind was howling. We had trouble keeping the boat straight at one point in time while trying to pour oil in the motor. Um, it was cold. There was rain off and on that entire evening. Like every 30 minutes, it just decided to rain on us. Um, my father-in-law, he, he's looking for gloves. He had gloves on. I had like my old hunting bag with me. So I, t- I opened up like three packages of, of hand warmers and put them in my pockets. And whenever, you know, my hands were not on the pole, they were on those hand warmers like the whole evening. And, uh, we, one thing that didn't help was we forgot to pack supper, so we survived on Lay's potato chips and Dr. Pepper. Uh, so, so 
needless to say, this just wasn't the easiest fishing trip that we've ever had. This was a, this was a tough fishing trip on the water. Um, it would be interesting to know how many casts we made that day. Uh, we, we cast probably hundreds of times, right? And we just, there was a couple hours there where we didn't catch a single fish. But, you know, for, for three, for just three casts, we caught some fish. Three casts, we caught three keepers, three walleye, my favorite. For three casts, out of hundreds of casts, we were rewarded. You see the analogy with evangelism? Fishing for men is a lot like that. It's not always easy. It's not always the most enjoyable. But at the end of the day, and that's when the fish fish started biting, at the end of the day, 9 o'clock at night, we were rewarded. And I don't know if there's anything more rewarding than seeing someone come to faith in Christ through your witness. Keep that in mind. The difficulties that we experience in our witnessing are only going to add to the sense of accomplishment at the end of the day. So, sharing the gospel, making disciples, it's going to be messy, it's going to be difficult at times, but I want us to be encouraged by one more thing, and it's that God's design, by God's design, light overpowers darkness. Darkness doesn't overpower light. When you turn a light on, the darkness goes away, right? Darkness is the absence of light. And so, it's never the other way around. And so, rather than huddling under a basket, I like to think that like the lights on my pathway to my house, we should spread out and light up our communities and guide others on the path to Christ. Uh, Howard Hendricks said this, There's no excuse to huddle in the darkness. We need to move out where the action is and mix it up with the society with to whom God has called us to minister. It's a dark world out there. Let's go out and light it up. And I stole these pictures from, from Tom. Hope you don't mind. Let's light it up. Isn't that cool? They had Sea Hill lit up with these little lights. Let's be these little lights that are placed around Shatter, Nebraska, and Hemingford, and Gordon, and Rushville, and all these other places. I've got a prayer for us here at the end, and I'm just going to read this. If the worship team, you guys want to come up. Lord, just like a solar light, you are the light that charges us and enables us to light the path for others. Use us, we pray, to light up our community, to guide others on the path to everlasting life in Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.